Thank you, Uberson, and good morning, everyone. I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 27. We are uh, continuing our theme as we look through the book on Mark, which is following the servant. As you turn there, I'll, I'll read that passage from Mark 10, verse 40, 45, which says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we uh, try our best to emulate the foots of our Savior, we continue our study this morning, and we're going to begin by reading Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely healed. Completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. All right, so let's begin with a little bit of context. We're, we're reading these verses, and there's this question that Jesus asked, um, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. And then the next thing you know, there's a plot to kill Jesus. So what's going on? I mean... This, this is rich, but we have to understand a little bit of the historical context and what we've been reading up to this point and also looking at, at the Gospels and, 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 putting, and putting a story together. The religious leaders in Israel, they want to kill Jesus. Now, is it because he's been healing people? No. Is it because he's been delivering people from evil spirits and, and demons and casting them free? No. Is it because he's been comforting those who are uh, sorrow or, or mourning? No. Is it because he's been feeding the hungry uh, five pieces of bread, two fish, 5,000 people no. Is it because he's been stopping funeral processions and waking up the dead to life? No. Okay. So it, it's not what he has been doing that is the issue here. The issue is what he has been saying, what he is claiming. And what he said, what he claims is that he is God the Son, the Messiah. He is Savior. And it's interesting as 
I, I look through the, the book of Mark, only this, at the baptism, at John's baptism, we heard a voice come down from heaven. This is my son. That was God speaking. At the Mount of Transfiguration, we heard another voice who said, this is my son. It was God speaking. There are a couple of other references where, where spirits recognize, evil spirits, recognize them and say, you are the son of God. But it is, as you read through the book of Mark, it is only in chapter 15, where it's a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross who says, based on what he's heard and how this man has died, he must be the son of God. Interesting that it took so long and it wasn't even a Jew or a disciple or a religious leader. It was a Roman centurion, according to Mark's gospel, who only in Mark 15 come to this recognition. And so these religious leaders were teaching about how salvation, look, salvation can't be earned by human works, no matter how hard we try. It's not about human accomplishment. It's not about human achievement. It's not about ceremonies it's not about festivals it's not even about sabbath but throughout this process the religious leaders they now have a lot of spiritual pride it based on their achievements based on their accomplishments and so jesus is going to attack their theology which was so different from the gospel and, and what he was teaching, right? These re Jewish religious leaders, they wore the right clothes. They said the right prayers. They fasted. They tithed. There was a sense of holiness, which made them look really good on the outside, but on the inside. You know, Jesus would challenge them at the Sermon of the Mount. Oh, you follow the Ten Commandments. Yes, um, it, it says, thy shall not murder. Yes, but if you're angry at a brother, well, you've committed murder in your heart. Yes, you haven't committed adultery, but if you lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so God is going to uh, attack uh, their spiritual pride. He's going to attack... Uh, the hindrance, which we'll get on into in a second, in terms of the self-righteous system. Again, pride is, I looked up the definition, and it's a, a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievement. And so they look very holy on the outside, but on the inside, and that's where he's going to attack them at, at their point of pride. Um, he's actually going to reject their condition before God, because when it came to the Sabbath, you know, uh, at the synagogue, uh, that's where the religious system was on, on full display. And, and when, when we speak about the Sabbath, we, we know on the seventh day of creation, sorry, in the creation story on the seventh day, God rested. We know in Exodus chapter 20, uh, I believe it's the fourth command, right, uh, to, 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 to remember the Sabbath. And then in, in Exodus chapter 30, when we're speaking about the Sabbath, it's about don't do any work. So it's about rest and worship and don't do any work, but the self-righteous system um, has created so many rules, and, and Glenn Smith spoke about that last week, that what has happened is that this Sabbath day is now the most burdensome day of the week because of man's religious system, not because of what God has called out. And so the system is faulty, and these people continue to refuse to see Christ. 
And that's most interesting because everything that he claimed and what he said was backed up by what he did. And still they refused to acknowledge him as the son of God. They preferred to think more highly of themselves and they definitely wanted others to think highly of themselves. So that's a little bit of the context here. Just looking at my time. Verses 1 and 2. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus has been teaching about salvation, about forgiveness, about eternal life. And here he's at the synagogue again. It's, you know, another reference to where he's teaching. And there's a man there, and he has a shriveled hand. Luke chapter 6 is more specific. Luke in chapter 6 is more specific. He mentions that it's the right hand. Now, picture you not being able to use your right hand. Um, it, it seems to have withered or, or, or shriveled up. The, the word there is atrophy, uh, which is really a, a, a reduction in the size of cells and tissues and muscles. And I'm not a doctor, but I, I Googled that up. And and so, so the muscles, they've, they, they've shrunk. Uh, my brother-in-law has some carpal tunnel right now. Um, he works in manufacturing. It, he can't work the machines. Um, it, it's hard to provide for the family when you're not working. Um, it's, it's hard to pick up your daughter and to play when you, you've got a bad hand. And so this man here, he has um, no use of his hand. So limited function, no work. Definitely a need. I mean, brushing my teeth, especially if you're right-handing, tying a shoe, all, all of these things, right? And yet, there, Jesus walks into the synagogue, and it says some of them are looking for a reason to accuse him. I mean, they're, they're looking at him intensely. Uh, they they, they want to make, make sure that he does something wrong. I mean, these are the people who are there to, to defend the teaching, the worship, the synagogue, the, and here they are, they want to attack him. They want to accuse him. They, they want to see if he's going to defy their man-made regulations, but yet they're willing to kill him, to plot to kill him, to, to test him. I mean, their hearts are completely wicked. And, and if you think about it, these rules for, for no work, okay? There were no rules for healers back then, right? They had never seen a healer before. And so what kind of work is involved in healing? A word? Jesus spoke a word and the man was healed? Jesus touched and the man was healed? Is, is that work? And the other thing that's interesting is that this man, this was not a life-threatening disease. J Jesus did not have to heal him on that day. He could have waited to uh, uh, the next day. I mean, Jesus could have met with this man after the hour at the synagogue and, and meet me out back and want to speak with you on the way home. Which He didn't. He he's calling it out there. Luke 6 actually says that Jesus knew what the man was thinking. Um, 
Now that, that's scary, knowing that God knows <laughs> what we're thinking. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is, this man is now the center of attention, right? Like he was there to worship. He was there. I mean, I don't think he was looking for a healing. Nothing in the text suggests that that was his motive for being there. And all, all of a sudden, God is, is, is calling him to attention and he's bringing him to the middle. And I remember a number of years ago, Nancy for my birthday had purchased uh, tickets to a Just for Laughs festival. And uh, we, we got to go see this, this comedian who had a knack for picking on members in the crowd. And so we were thrilled. We were happy. We were up two decks high, nosebleed seats. Like there's no way he can pick on us all the way there at the Place des Arts, right? And uh, right at the beginning uh, of, of the show, the, the, the lights go off and, and, uh, and the house lights go off and the spotlights come on and there's music and there's an announcer and there's an Air Canada promotion and two lucky people are going to be called to the front. And sure enough, the light falls on us. Nancy and I are selected, and as we're walking down, she's squeezing my hand, and she's saying, don't you dare say anything, right? Because we didn't want to get picked on. And sure enough, well, you'd have to ask her about the rest of that story, but you don't want to be part of the limelight. You don't want to be called to the center. You don't want to be part of the attention. This man was just there to worship, and here he is. He's being called up with his shriveled hand, and it says in verse 4, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill life, but they remained silent. They knew the answer to that question. They knew Old Testament scripture. They knew Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat and animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, your incense is detestable to me. Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. They knew the answer to that question. But if they said, yes, it is okay to do good, well, then Jesus would be not guilty. And if no, then they would show the evil or the dark or the, the wickedness of their hearts. And so it's silent. An uncomfortable silence. All air is sucked out of the room. Like, who really represents God in this story? Is it the Jewish religious leaders? Or is Jesus honoring God? Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, at their stubborn hearts. There's a stare down. Um eye to eye, eyeball to eyeball, uh, with Jesus, who is angry? <laughs> um, you know, we know that in anger, he cleared the temple, all right? They were turning into uh, a bunch of thieves and robbery. This is my house as a, as a house of prayer. He cleared it in anger. 
this verse that we just read, to my knowledge, is the only time in the New Testament where it explicitly says that Jesus is angry. What's he angry at? Well, he's angry at their pride. He's angry at their wicked hearts, their lack of goodness. He's uh, the bur the bur their burdensome laws, their unwillingness to help this crippled man, uh, their desire to plot and to kill him. And, and it's interesting that as much as he is angry, it also says that he's deeply distressed. He's angry at their rejection that he is indeed the son of God. He's distressed about their future judgment and condemnation. And so he's looking around at them in anger and distress. And he says to this man, stretch out your hand. I'm not sure how that man did it. Remember, it was shriveled. Yeah, How did he stretch it out of them? Beats me, but I know he did it. And interesting, Jesus didn't put any conditions on this, didn't um, say, you know, uh, seek forgiveness or your, your sins are forgiven or, or turn from this or tell me what you want. or what do you, no, He just tells him, stretch out your hand. So he stretches out his hand and he's completely restored. Again, no work, just completely, completely restored. No work in action. And yet everybody is still quiet. No questions, no, you know what? Maybe we should re-examine what, 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 we're, what we're thinking or what we're doing. I mean, did you just see what he did to that guy's hand? How he healed it? Yeah, he must be the, the, the son of God. Yeah, oh my, I got this wrong. Whoa, what was I thinking? None of that. None of that. The hearts are hardened. Luke 6, it says that they were filled with rage. They were, they were furious. Their, their minds were out of control. Verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Their response was not to fall down on their knees and to worship. It was to kill to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill a life. Their response is to kill. Even in death, Christ will triumph. And so, um, so what? I'm going to uh, hashtag so what, Glenn Smith. Couple of take-home points. Um, Christianity has no room for pride, right? It's not about my uh, self-righteousness or my good works or how hard I try. It is by faith through grace that we are saved. And sometimes our pride um, does not only allows us to focus on ourselves and not on others. And I love this initiative. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Christian, for this love in action. Um, even, even my wife called me out on it this week as we were thinking about March break and not even knowing about this initiative. You know, um, how can we go out and serve? But, but we, we need to make sure that our, our pride is in check. We really do. The, um, the second thing is 
we don't want to be like the religious leaders who uh, prevented other people from coming to Christ. And one of the ways that I, th I think that happens is in our hypocrisy. When we say one thing, but we do another. And I guess this is more a, a challenge for the men, but, you know, um, it's not so much how we start off, but how we finish. And my, my heart is saddened when I, when I hear and continue to read about uh, men in leadership who get themselves in trouble, some form of idolatry or sexual related in nature, okay? And then you're, re you're reading about how the publishers are taken off their books, uh, this ministry and, and everything they've done and the devastation to the wife and, and to children in life and in death, whenever that information comes out. And so the challenge is make sure that the way we, they will know we are Christians by our love and we really need to uh, keep a check in balance um, to make sure we have um, a good network of support of other people, this is men and women in general, uh, people who that we can uh, relate to and be open with and walk with and openly confess our struggles without the fear of being judged. The other point, and I'm going to end with this, is um, the third point is we need to be willing to extend our crippled hand. And uh, by crippled hand, there's, there's two ways that I think I see this from the text. The first one is, um, if somebody on this call, for instance, is not a believer, and you don't know what it means to be saved, or to be forgiven, or to be sure that your eternal destiny is an eternal home with God, well, then God's calling you into a relationship with him, where he is Lord, right? Where we, we read how he gave his life as a ransom for many. Right? He's calling us to be co-heirs with Christ, to be part of his family. He is offering it to us, stretch out our hand. Sin is like a disease. Forgiveness is the healing power that Christ offers us. And then the second part of the stretch out our crippled hands, and this is for us as believers. Confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Bring to him our crippled brokenness, whatever that is, and he will heal us. And then the fourth point is to remember that God is good. God is good in everything, in everything he says, in everything he does. And he is indeed the son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We pray that we can come to you. We, uh, we extend to you all of our crippledness, all of our brokenness. We, we pray for your healing. We pray that um, we, we thank you that our sin is forgiven in Christ. We pray that you would help us out in our own individual lives, that there would be no room for pride, but we would continue to see others greater than ourselves and be willing to serve them. And we thank you that you offer each and every one of us to come to you when we are weary and tired and that you will give us a yoke, a yoke that is very specific for each neck of the mule that you will um, help us find rest 
in you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a God who cares and who desires compassion and not sacrifice. And we just thank you that you, um, you are victorious and triumphant, even in death. In your name we pray. Amen.